Hi everyone, welcome to She Can STEM. Today I'm here with Dr. Martin. Dr. Martin is a former vet and she currently teaches science to elementary school students. Hi Dr. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. It is so nice to be with you, Tanya. I really appreciate you um, inviting me to do this with you and I'm excited to talk about what we're gonna talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so can you talk about your background in the STEM field? Well, it began when I was a really small child, and um, I fortunately had parents who gave me a tremendous amount of experiences in life, and um, I grew up playing a lot outdoors, learned a lot about nature, and what I think my favorite quote from Einstein is, look deep into nature and you will understand everything better, and it certainly gives one a great basis for science. Um, I also built a lot of things, and I built models, and I built forts, and I built all kinds of structures and towns for my trains, and so I was always building things and creating things, and like I said, I had parents and um, a few adult friends who really supported my interests, and I never felt, even though I grew up as a child in the 60s, kind of did high school and college in the 70s, which was a real time for girls to be in certain roles, boys to be in certain roles, all the way through um, to adulthood. And so I was grateful that I had people around me who allowed me to pursue my passions and in, in, in science and engineering mostly um, without making me feel that it was odd doing that as a girl and later as a woman. Um, <clears throat> when I, I took my science training um, from college, I got a degree in, in zoology. I took that and um, got a, a master's in parasitology and then went to vet school. And um, this was a time when there weren't many women vets and when you're talking to a South Georgia farmer about his bull, um, they're, they're not that, they weren't very comfortable with women at that point. But things changed a lot in those years and now there are far more women in vet school than men. So that was kind of my training. Um, I practiced veterinary medicine for quite a while and um, then left practice when I became a mother and my interest shifted more to children. And this is something that gave me an opportunity, which is really kind of a life goal, because people gave me so much grace and, and mentored me so much in science roles. This was something I could pass on to young people. And so that's when I turned to teaching and um, trying to share the passion that, that really got me ignited. For sure, yeah. Um, so when you think of female role models in STEM, what's the first thing, what's the first name that comes to your mind? For me personally, without a doubt, Roxy Laburn, who was um, a, a mentor for me. She was at the Smithsonian Institution. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. And I was lucky to work under her at the Smithsonian when I was in high school in the Department of Ornithology Birds. And she was at the time the leading avian anatomist in the world. And 
again, she was an older woman at that time. So she really came through when it was hard for women to, to be in positions like this. And she was famous and, and a head of a department at the Smithsonian. So here again, I had people who just accepted that, you know, women in science, that's nothing unusual. I mean, they just didn't make it seem as if it was not something a woman could do. But there were plenty of people who, who were of the mindset that women shouldn't be in science. And a lot of men felt that way. And that's one of the most gratifying things I see changing now. Not only do we have wonderful women role models, we also have men who are not biased, who are not prejudiced against women's opinions and women's abilities. And that's a huge cultural shift. And it's still ongoing. My daughter says that um, along the way, she just graduated a year ago from college, so she said that along the way she had a few male teachers who were not very supportive of female ideas. So I think it's a, it's a real responsibility for both male and female educators to mentor young women appropriately. I agree. Um, in, your, in your journey in, um, in school and university, and then in your work as a vet, and then in your teaching life, have you ever had like a male figure who wasn't so supportive of you? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And when I first went into vet practice, um, I was the first female vet in town and nobody wanted to see the little lady. They wanted to see the doctor, you know, so there was that. And um, even recently, um, well, it wasn't that recently, I guess, but in, in fairly um, recent part of my life, I served on city council locally. And then even... Um, the chiropractor was addressed as doctor. I was addressed as miss. And I'm a missus too, and a doctor, but yeah, I was miss. So um, yeah, you get a lot of that along the way, but I, I don't know, I, I just worked harder and proved that, you know, hey, I'm a really good vet, and pretty soon they were coming in asking for the little lady. and. So, you know, that's what you do. You just prove your worth and, you know, maybe you shouldn't have to, but I don't know. I just, I always do my best at everything. So it worked. <laughs> I love that. Prove your worth. From my research, I think one of the biggest things was like in fourth grade, they did a, the public library of sciences did a survey and the girls and boys who are interested in science were roughly equal. But then in 12th grade, they did the same service, the same survey. And it was huge disparity in the girls and boys who are interested in science. So from teaching children between those ages, what do you think is the biggest thing that causes that disparity? Um, <clears throat> yeah, with fourth and fifth graders, pretty much girls and boys are equally fascinated. And if you, you lead them with passion, they will show it pretty much equally. Um, I have boys and girls fascinated with STEM and the after-school program and all the stuff we do. But I think that when you get into middle school and, um, you know, there are a lot of girls who like to pursue girly things. And I think there are still families, there are still cultural things that make a lot of girls feel that that 
science is not girly, it's not feminine, and therefore they're not going to be popular. Um, not so much at the school where I teach. Um, people up in, in upper school there and in the high school uh, who are in science and do programs with the CDC are very highly regarded. Male, female, doesn't make any difference. But I, I do know what you're talking about, and I, I know a lot of people um, in, in public schools and who teach and, and also students, and I do see that. And it's like, in, in my day, and I think to some extent, all the girls want to be cheerleaders. I mean, that's, I know that's a huge uh, overgeneralization, but I think there's still a lot of that. In my day, yeah, to be popular, you had to be a cheerleader. And I think there's still some of that. <clears throat> you have to be cute, you have to wear cute clothes, and if you're in a science lab, mm, that's not so much fitting in with this cultural norm. But this is where we have the responsibility with educators and with parents. And it begins before school. It begins when you have small children and you have girls and boys equally participating in things that might lead to interest in science. And that's outdoor, outdoor activities, not, not team sports, but playing in streams, building bridges, seeing how things float, making boats out of things and floating in a puddle. It doesn't have to be elaborate and stay away from kids. Make them play with things outside. Build forts in the woods. See how things fit together and hold together. Children love it. You start them young, girls young, playing in those creeks, and they will continue to play in creeks. I have a daughter who still does, because we still do it together. It's fun. Um, and, and have them build things. Put out supplies. I have a big box where I threw every kind of container and bottle caps and all kinds of stuff. Rainy day, we pull it out, we make things. I still have the mint dispenser she made me. So yeah, build things, get outside, get those experiences that show you how the world works. And tell your little girls on the way home from ballet, hey, let's go put on our old sneakers and play in the creek. For sure. And, you know, because if you're just focused on those kinds of things and you don't bring in the science, there's a lot of science in dance. Explore that with your dancer. Put your girls in the kitchen. Let them cook. Let them experiment. Do food science. You know, those kind of things will engage children, whether they're girls or boys. So start young and then seek out teachers who treat them as if you know the best place to head in life is science because i think it is for sure yeah um so those cultural norms that you talked about that influence girls a lot um do you think it has an effect on their confidence in science and math classrooms they need to have science successes they need to build things, make mistakes, learn from that. Um, in my day, girls took home ec, boys took shop. Children should be able to explore equally with all kinds of things. 
Um, and they should be allowed to have successes with things that they create. They should be praised for them um, so that it generates a spark of more curiosity instead of, oh, you don't want to do that. Well, come on. Yeah, let's do that. You know, let them see that their interest in things is a good thing. For sure. Um, do you think like in a classroom kind of setting, do you think boys and girls are treated differently in by their peers when they express interest in science? I think a lot of that depends on um, where school is located, what the socioeconomic factors are in the area, um, if there are predominant cultural influences on the student body and how those might be divided. Um, there are subcultures in the United States, ethnic groups, where uh, a women, woman's role is still considerably defined. And um, I think we have to respect families along those lines, um, certainly. But in general, I think there are individuals, teachers, and maybe in certain schools, administrative bodies who have certain personalities. And that can affect, trickle down, to how students are treated in the classroom. What is the personality of the, of the school and how they treat their students and how they regard their students? Are their teachers so overworked that teaching has become a difficult burden instead of an exercise of passion? So I think we have a lot of factors that can influence how we affect children. And I think it's something that we need to be constantly conscious of particularly in male versus female, and also among different races and other things that make us unique individuals so that everyone is given those equal opportunities. Are we heading in that direction? I think so, painfully at times. Right now, really painfully for a lot of groups. Um, that was true back in my childhood. We went through some very painful times but I hope that it will lead to some very good times because that's usually what it, where it goes. So I hope this will be a great time for growth uh, of girls' confidence in becoming scientists. I agree. Um, so to ensure those equal opportunities that you talked about, what kind of interventions do you think we should make in schools to make choosing STEM like a more, um, a more comfortable decision for girls? <laughs> Whenever possible, and, and all the way down through the elementary years, whenever possible, have science teachers, and, and I used to say have science and, and engineering and math teachers who were um, specialists in their field, yeah, to some degree, they need to be passionate about it. And um, because if you're passionate about science, if you're passionate about building things, if you're passionate, about designing things, if you're passionate about math, the kids soak it up. I have a wonderful colleague who teaches math. And I mean, the kids just suck it up because she generates such enthusiasm for it. 
And having females in this role, female science teachers, female math teachers who are passionate about it and never let anyone stand in their way of getting there, um, you know, that's, that's a huge step. So try to seek out those people. They may not be trained in science, but they can certainly be a curious person who is passionate about it and excited and can spark that to kids. I agree, yeah. Um, I know in the past for me, like I had... This year I took AP Biology, AP Calculus, and AP Physics, and all three teachers were female and they were super passionate about their work, and that really got me interested in those fields. Yeah, and, and we have some wonderful teachers at my school who um, are just superb in their field. And um, yeah, and mentoring that, yeah, I'm a woman, so what? <laughs> I like to use it to my advantage, actually. I agree. Um, so what advice do you have for the young girls who are considering entering STEM and don't know what? Who are entering STEM? Or considering it, yeah. Don't ever think of yourself as being different because of who you are in any way. Um, you, you, you seriously in life can kind of do whatever whatever you set out to do. I've set out to do some crazy things and actually got there. Um, and who knew? But um, yeah, don't don't ever stop to, to wonder if you should just try. Just go for it. And it doesn't matter if you're a girl. It doesn't matter if you're a woman. It doesn't matter if you're purple. Um, just if you have a passion for something, follow it. And if people say stuff to you, tease you, eh, they'll grow out of it. A year from now, it'll be forgotten. Don't worry about it. You know, there are people who are insecure about themselves, so they have to tease and make fun of others. But just stick to your, stick to your goals. And um, if you see some people, some women who you feel um, are really comfortable in their field, really good in their field, feel connection with them, um, develop somewhat of a mentoring relationship and ask them questions and, and um, you know, how they might handle situations. But stick to your guns, don't let anybody stand in your way and just follow your dream. And if it turns out that, you need to take a turn in the path. You find out you love something else, well, take that turn and go for it. I've had two wonderful careers so far and yeah, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I love that. Um, so in your experiences in the classroom, have you ever witnessed an experience where maybe a girl was super into it and then all of a sudden just, what am I trying to say? Um, where a girl was super interested in what she was doing but maybe like lacked the confidence to really explore deeper? Yeah. Um, I, th I think a lot of children have a lot done for them. If they can't do something themselves, a parent does it for them. I know I was guilty of it many a time. Um, but we, we convey the message that they're not doing it correctly, that they can't do it. And it happens in the classroom. You know, a child just can't can't tear that tape off the dispenser, can't tie that knot. Need to have the patience and work through it and come back to it and keep practicing, practicing, practicing and not give up. Because if we give up on a child and we do it for them or we go on, they'll never have that confidence that they did it. 
and I had a little boy in fifth grade this year and we were tying knots in string and you would be amazed how difficult it is for fifth graders to tie two pieces of string together. Blew me away when I first started teaching. Um, you know, they can't tie their shoes, they get Velcro. Mm -hmm. So they never develop the confidence. Well, this little boy, we were learning how to tie two pieces of string together and he finally did it. And he was like, wow, this is the most amazing day. I learned how to tie a knot. And that was the beginning of so much confidence for that little boy who had really been lacking it. And I think it's true for boys and girls. You know, I'm actually seeing girls as being a little bit more adventuresome. And I think here's where girls tend to be a little more crafty. So they tend to be a little more hands-on. And when it comes to cutting and taping and folding along a ruler to get a sharp crease, holy cow, the girls blow the boys away. Because the boys, you know, they're, duh, 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 I'm done. You know, and that's because of the age. But, um, you know, so this, this hands-on thing, you know, let the kids do crafts, but also you know, let them learn how to tie a shoe and um, use tools. My daddy took me in the workshop, let me use tools. I learned how to hammer a nail boy, you nail something together accurately, it's a shot of confidence. And if you say, hey, let me do it, and you do it for them, you just took away that confidence and you told them they're not, no, they can't do it. So that's huge. <laughs> for sure. Um, do you have any final messages for listeners? Follow your passion and don't ever let someone tell you you can't do something. I agree. Just keep working towards it. You'd be amazed. Life is great. I love that. Life is great. Thank you so much for doing this, Dr. Martin. I love talking to you today. Uh, it has been so good to see you, and I'm so excited you're a senior and you're about to move on to where life really gets good. <laughs>